0: Welcome to Worship with the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia, brought to you at a time when we join you in practicing social distancing to curb the pandemic virus. This sermon podcast is from our online virtual worship service that you can find through our website at opmh.org. We pray that in the not-too-distant future we will welcome you in person when you visit us in Old Town, Alexandria.
1: Good morning. Wherever you are on your own journey of faith, know that you are welcome here in this sacred space and time together. We're glad you've stopped by. The Lord be with you. Let us worship God. A reading from Psalm 145. Let us listen for God's word to us this day. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and God's compassion is over all that God has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to all people, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Lord, you are faithful in all your words and gracious in all your deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down.
0: As you just heard, the psalmist refers to God as our King, a King who is gracious and merciful to all people. In words that should sound familiar to you, the prophet refers to a king that is coming to set people free. And for us, that king is Jesus, a king who calls us into a new and better way of life. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. For lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. For today I declare, I will restore to you double. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Throughout most of my childhood education, every school day started with the same ritual. My classmates and I would stand, face the flag, place our right hands over our hearts and recite the following words. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I don't recall being taught anything about the pledge, who wrote it and why are more importantly, what it meant. If that was your experience as well, it might surprise you to learn that it was written in 1892 by Francis Bellamy, the son of a Baptist minister and self-described Christian socialist. He wrote it for a magazine called Youth Companion as part of a concerted effort to promote and celebrate Discovery Day, or what would later be called Columbus Day. In its original form, there was no mention of the United States of America, only my flag and the republic for which it stands, since Bellamy thought that other countries might want to use it as well. The reference to the United States was added in 1923 to distinguish America from other countries and to address its growing anxiety about the flood of new immigrants. It soon became a loyalty test for a person's patriotism, prompting a considerable amount of resistance, especially among the religious-minded people. Nevertheless, it was officially adopted by Congress in 1942 and expanded to include the words under God in 1954, in part as a response to the threat of communism. As I said, I don't recall being taught any of that information. In the aftermath of World War II, the important thing it seemed was to unite Americans over and against other countries, especially communist countries. As a young person, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance seemed rather innocuous. But now as an older person, certain words stick in my throat. One nation under God, indivisible and with liberty and justice for all. There has long been a disconnect between the lofty rhetoric of the Pledge of Allegiance and before that, the Declaration of Independence and the persistent inequalities among our nation's citizens. To quote an editorial in Thursday's edition of the New York Times, Millions of Americans, especially black and Hispanic Americans, lack the securities that make freedom meaningful. With all the political and religious vitriol these days, with all the different responses to the pandemic, with all the racial disparities being exposed, it is hard to think of America as being one indivisible nation. And while most Americans claim to believe in God, it is increasingly difficult to see evidence of that belief. And in a time when increasing numbers of people seem determined to round up and lock up or worse beat up and even kill people of color, it is painfully clear that liberty and justice is not For all people. So, on this weekend, when we and others will be flying the American flag and celebrating Independence Day, let us pause to reconsider our pledge. As Americans, let us ask ourselves if we really believe in the words we have been taught to recite. And if so, let us ask what we're doing to breathe life into those words. And as people of faith, let us ask ourselves if we really believe in God and in the word made flesh. And if so, let us also ask what we are doing to breathe life into God's word. In Psalm 145, the writer underscores the sweeping nature of God's new rule by using the word all 17 times in just 21 verses. In the few verses we read today, he writes, the Lord is good to all and the Lord's compassion is over all. The Lord is faithful in all the Lord's words and gracious in all the Lord's deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down friends, if we truly believe this is the word of God for the people of God, then it follows that we should be good to all, that we should show compassion to all, that we should be faithful in all our words and deeds and uphold all who are falling and raise up all who are bowed down. As one scholar points out, This Psalm leads us to reflect again on the character of one whose kingdom endures throughout all generations. And to confess that God is King is to believe in God's preferential concern for the poor and the vulnerable for all of them. And the image is striking. The one who has all the power, willingly expends it upon those who have none." Friends, if we believe this is true of God, then it follows that we as children of God should also show concern for the poor and the vulnerable, for all of them, regardless of color, creed, or class. As followers of Jesus Christ, We practice another ritual every Sunday as we recite these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the question remains, are we breathing life into these words or are we just paying lip service to God? Long before Jesus, the prophet Zechariah envisioned a new and different kind of king. One who would live without the excesses of previous kings. One who would live righteously and justly. One who would rule by persuasion, not by coercion. He would lead by serving others, not lording it over them with military force. In fact, he would get rid of all instruments of war and command peace. To borrow from Douglas Bailey, this King, and later Jesus, invites us to become active participants in a wild, upside down, transforming movement. And as Bailey reminds us, movements and not institutions or what bring change. Institutions conjure up perceptions that are fixed in form, devoid of urgency and lacking in things that invite change. On the other hand, movements are energetic, fluid, and visionary, and they connect us to a cause on which our very lives may well depend. Today, as we ponder the prophet's words, protesters are marching in the streets, crying for justice and denouncing systemic racism. Some are calling this of movement, and I pray they are right. Because Zechariah's anti-imperial proclamation, along with Jesus' anti-imperial appropriation of it, demands that we not only listen to the voices of the oppressed, but that we insist on liberty and justice for all people, not just for some. To paraphrase Robert Radcliffe, to insist on liberty and justice and peace for all people is a divine calling. And that calling is not just to a general sense of well being, but rather to specific acts of mercy. Declaring that none of us can enjoy peace until the last one of us finds justice, God intends to rescue the oppressed. It's a tough and demanding claim on our lives. But as Zechariah reminds us, We are prisoners of hope, which is to say, we are people who are on the way toward a more loving and equitable world. And the challenge of course, is to live as followers of the way by doing our part to free people from all forms of oppression. In her book, Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope. Sister Joan Chichester writes, hope is not a matter of waiting for things outside to get better. It is about getting better inside. It is about allowing ourselves to believe in the future we cannot see. It is about trusting in God. And to that I would add, It is about trusting God to work in and through us to help make God's kingdom more of an already than a not yet. Six years ago, I shared a story with you that bears repeating. In 1944, while our nation was still embroiled in World War II, A renowned jurist named Learned Hand gave a speech in New York City's Central Park. His speech, like that of earlier patriots, cast a vision for life as God intended it to be lived. It sounds like something Zechariah might have said. And given the present state of our country, his words sound just as relevant. Hand said, We are here to affirm a faith, a faith and a common purpose, a common conviction, a common devotion to Liberty. I cannot define the spirit of Liberty. I can only tell you my own faith. The spirit of Liberty is the spirit, which seeks to understand the minds of other men and women. It weighs their interest alongside its own. It remembers that not even a sparrow falls to earth unheeded. The spirit of liberty is the spirit of him who 2,000 years ago taught humanity a lesson it has never fully learned but has never quite forgotten, that there may be a kingdom where the least shall be heard and considered side by side with the great. I don't know about you, but I will be flying the flag this weekend, and while it is up wafting in the breeze, I will ponder again the words I recited as a child, words about one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And then, then I will pledge to do what I can to breathe life into those words so that they become real for all people, regardless of color, creed, or class. And as my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray you will do the same. Amen. As children of God and followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to join in the work of God so that justice might roll down like water and righteousness like an everlasting stream for all people. May God grant us the courage and the conviction to do that now so that all people can live in peace, amen.